Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Sararis, and we are here to get you prepared for Monday night's national championship game between the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Georgia Bulldogs. I've been expecting Georgia to be in this game since the season started. I picked Georgia in the preseason to be my national champion i had them in my final four they are the only team i got correct from the real life final four that happened for the college football playoff i've been high on this georgia team based on what they played like last year with stetson bennett and i never expected stetson bennett to be the starter this year full time i expected them to open it up have JT Daniels, who's a former five-star recruit who was the USC quarterback before he tore his knee up and then got replaced by Keaton Slovis. I expected Georgia to have the full-blown modern-day SEC offense you would expect of a national title contender and the very strong defense we saw last year. Instead, they rolled with Bennett. They had the best defense in college football. They really didn't play a close game until the SEC title game where Alabama took care of them handily, beat them by more than three scores. And the framing of this conversation around Monday's game is very simple. Until you beat the man, you're not the man. Ric Flair said it best back when he was in WCW. If you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. And right now, Alabama... Alabama's still the man. Alabama is your reigning, defending, undisputed college football national champion. They won the title very convincingly last year against Ohio State in a game that was never particularly close. Georgia, if any team is going to do it this year, it was going to be Georgia. There was not a team in college football last year other than Florida. And yes, Florida, I know, had three losses last year. Other than Florida, that could have beat Alabama last year. Just speaking pure facts, no, you were going to have to score 50-ish points to beat last year's Alabama team. The only team capable of doing that with any real frequency was Florida, with Kyle Trask, Kadarius Toney, and Kyle Pitts. Other than that, I didn't think anybody was going to give Alabama a real game. Notre Dame didn't. Ohio State didn't. That, that was some easy stuff there. That was pretty easy. And a lot of the framing of... Monday night's game is centered around can Georgia finally get over the hump the the comparison I think here that fits is Yankees Red Sox and to a larger extent the Red Sox winning a World Series Georgia hasn't won a national title since 1980 the Red Sox of course didn't win a World Series between 1918 and 2003 2004 they finally won the World Series but to exercise demons of this magnitude you have to go through your biggest contemporary and i say contemporary because georgia and alabama aren't traditional rivals they're not in the same division they don't play every single year they have a history of playing in these big games in this college football playoff era but that this these are contemporaries these aren't rivals at least under the constitution of what i would define as a rival generally speaking so we'll preview monday night's game we'll give a pick we'll talk some matchups we'll talk narratives I got plenty of things written down in my handy-dandy notebook. But before we get there, a couple housekeeping things to take care of. Number one, please support the show wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play. Wherever you get your podcasts, please, please, please subscribe to the show. 
unsubscribe, resubscribe. That works. Trust me, that works. That's like another person subscribing, even though you already subscribed. It's a way around the system. Number two, if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Go to the show's recent page. Scroll past our recent episodes. Go all the way to the bottom. There's going to be five clear purple stars. Hit the one furthest to the right. That's a five-star review. Underneath that is a button with purple letters that says write a review. Please leave a few words. That stuff helps me out immensely as a content creator. Any and all feedback we get helps us show potential employers or advertisers. The more engagement we get, the easier it is for us to do more exciting things. Number two, keeping track. I gave you three picks on Friday. I gave you the 49ers plus four and a half. The 49ers and Rams are still playing. That game is in overtime right now. We don't have a pick yet. We don't have a verdict on that pick yet, but before the podcast is over, we will give you that. Cleveland minus six. Browns only won by five. I got a little cute. I should have just taken Jacksonville plus 14 and a half, but it's fine. I want it to be a little bit tricky. I took the Browns. They didn't cover. And then Washington minus seven was the easiest bet I've made in a long time. Sports gambling being legalized in New York. I only had four things this weekend. The slate was pretty nasty, but the only one I felt like stone cold, lead pipe lock confident in was the Washington football team against the Giants. There is conjecture going around right now from people who are pretty loyal to John Mara, like Peter Schwartz of the New York Post, saying that Joe Judge is on unsteady ground right now. So maybe Joe Judge gets fired and I get to have a good week and we get to have a college football national championship game going into Super Wild Card Weekend. All of that said, I will see you guys on the other side of the drop, and we're going to talk about the national championship game. Think about Lola trying to make up for it. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! And with that, we will get on into it. So, these two teams met on the first Sunday of the college of December in the SEC championship game. For only the second time in 92 games, Alabama was the betting underdog. The only other time in the previous 92 games was the Georgia-Alabama game back in 2015, which Alabama won. Of course, Alabama has lost a lot of several games as favorites. I, those are one of the more fun days on sports Twitter. The Alabama upsets out of nowhere. Texas A&M and Zach Calzada this year in particular stands out in my memory as a particularly fun everybody dancing on Alabama's grave. But for all intents and purposes here, we all make fun of and hate on Alabama because they're far and away the best college football team in this college football playoff era. And Nick Saban is the best college football coach of all time. I don't really think there's much of a discussion anymore. I don't think you can argue anybody who plays who coached pre-2000 because of just how much more of an advantage there was. You look at some of the programs that were competitive pre-2000 because of the situational factors those teams had going for them where they just didn't have to compete for recruits from other places. I mean, you think about some of the teams that won national championships in the 90s. I mean, Georgia Tech won a national title, Colorado, Nebraska won multiple titles, Miami won multiple titles. Those programs won because they weren't they weren't in wars over recruits every single day, and programs weren't recruiting out of their area. They were largely a lot more regional than they are now. There are still teams that have regional footholds, but everybody goes into Florida, Texas, and California for recruits now. 
There is not a monopoly on recruits based on in-state. Alabama goes into whatever states it wants and gets people. Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia now, same thing. Those programs go wherever they want, and they can get any, more or less get any recruit they want. Alabama is the best program in this era because Alabama's recruiting process is unrivaled. Alabama puts in the most players into the NFL draft pretty much every single season. On occasion, there are odd years where I know Georgia's had the most players selected. I know LSU two years ago, the Joe Burrow year, they had the most players selected. But for all intents and purposes, Alabama is the best team because they have the best players. Yes, they have the best coach, and they usually have pretty good assistants and coordinators, but they win national titles because they have the best players. That is the foundational principle for any college football discussion in this era especially in this playoff era where we've seen so many teams get to that semifinal game and just get absolutely dog walked in the first round in the semifinal on the games that are for some reason played on new year's eve but this alabama team i came into this season expecting alabama to take a small step back i wasn't gonna say four or five losses but I figured freshman quarterback, they graduate two wide receivers, they graduate a few guys from the defense. I figured they take a small step back. I picked Ole Miss to win the SEC West because I wanted to have a little bit of fun this year, and I thought Ole Miss would be able to give Alabama a little bit of a, more of a run for their money head-to-head. That didn't come to fruition, obviously. Alabama easily took care of Ole Miss, but... I did not expect Alabama, and make no mistake, this is a weaker iteration of Alabama, and that's just a testament to how good this program is, that a team that had one loss all year and handily won the SEC title game as an underdog, like, this was a mediocre year for Alabama in the scope of their recent team history, I mean... You think about it. All three of their their last three quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa, and Mac Jones, are all starters in the NFL. Devontae Smith, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs prior to his arrest. They're putting guys into the league at important positions. They're graduating offensive linemen. They're, they have the best players. And coming into this year, I figured, okay, maybe they take a small step back. They miss out on the playoff this year. They very much were in there. They got up in Georgia's ass in the SEC title game. And let's start here. We have to start any rational discussion about the national title game where we were four weeks ago at the SEC title game. If we're going to talk about the ga- national title game with these two teams playing at the head, we got to start at the national title game. Uh, excuse me, national title game. The SEC title game a month ago. That was the last time these two teams played. When those two teams played last time, Georgia got out pretty quickly to a 10 nothing lead. Alabama scored 38 unanswered points, came rolling down, and it really came apart for Georgia on the Jamison Williams touchdown. It was like 60-ish yards from script. It was 60-ish yard touchdown. He broke down the middle, and the guy on the second level of the Georgia defense, the defensive back, whether it was a safety or corner, who was supposed to be there, took the wrong angle, and Jamison Williams just put on the burners, and he was gone. Gone. Not a single person on that Georgia defense was going to catch. He was gone. And from there, that... That is where we get into this discussion about Yankees, Red Sox, and standing up in the face of your contemporaries and absorbing body blows. Georgia was up 10-0 and had pretty good a pretty good start to that game. And very quickly, all it took was one explosive Alabama play, and all of a sudden you felt all the people on that Georgia sideline start to look at each other and say, oh no, not again, we can't do this. And it's weird, because going into that game... I felt pretty confident in Georgia. And I'll quote Seth Emerson, the Georgia writer at The Athletic. 
He wrote this in his column today, Sunday. I'm recording on Sunday for Monday show, obviously, but he wrote it on his Sunday column. Georgia fans and Hope, they went to couples counseling after Atlanta in the SEC title game. And either this relationship is going to survive, or after Monday night's game, this is irreconcilable differences, and this is the epic end-of-relationship fight between Georgia fans and Hope. Because going into that game in Atlanta, Georgia fans felt our defense is good enough Bryce Young has never really had to be in this kind of environment. He has never been the best player on the field for more than a couple of plays at a time. And we think we can get pressure with our four guys up front. We'll be able to play coverage, and we will put Bryce Young into hell for four quarters. And that didn't happen. Uh, on the contrary, Bryce Young very easily dissected a back the a back line of the Georgia defense. That is the one weak point of said defense is the corners and safeties. That's not a knock. That's just a testament of how good their front seven is. Georgia's front seven is elite. But keeping along here, between the ears is where I think this game is one of the more interesting national title games we've had in recent memory because these are real demons that need to be exercised for this Georgia program. And I don't want to say little brother because that minimizes just how good Georgia's been in this era, which is not easy to do because I've largely defined this college football playoff era by just three teams, Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama. Those are the three programs that have largely defined this period of time and are pretty much the frame of reference for what a successful college football program looks like. And Georgia's right there with them. They just haven't won any of the national titles of those three teams. Talent-wise, Georgia's right there with Alabama. Georgia's going to put 10-plus starters from this year's team into the NFL next year. Legitimately, they are going to put 10 starters into the league next year. This is an all-time great regular season team. But in the scope of what the goal was, what the expectations were, not winning a national championship would be considered a failure. That is part of the problem here if you are... Georgia and Kirby Smart, who I have, I've both maligned and praised depending on the conversation. Kirby modernizing Georgia's infrastructure, making them able to recruit with the Alabamas and the Ohio States and Clemsons of the world is no, is no small feat. If anybody could do it, they would have turned Oklahoma or USC or Texas or Michigan or any of those second tier teams that have yet to make the playoff or win a game in the playoff in the case of Oklahoma and Michigan, one person would have done that with them. Somebody would have figured that out. So Kirby has done a great job of getting Georgia to the level of being able to compete with Alabama. Now they need to beat Alabama, not just compete. Georgia's lost seven straight head-to-head with Alabama. Those are mostly SEC title games, then, of course, the national title game. Three years ago, no, four years ago now, God, we're in 2022. That's horrifying. And the SEC title games, a couple of regular season games, that kind of thing. But large, uh, full sale, everybody on that Georgia sideline is going to be looking at each other and saying, oh, no, not again if Alabama gets out in front early. And this is where we can start to talk about the X's and O's and the mechanics of the game. I do not think there's a world in which Georgia can win this game playing from behind. Full stop, I 
do not trust Stetson Bennett in this kind of situation to be able to play from behind. And you hear me talk about this all the time, especially when I'm talking about the NFL, where there are teams that aren't able to play from behind because of the types of offense they like to run. You need to be able to run the ball, set up play action for Stetson Bennett to be effective at quarterback. If you are down two touchdowns, the defense is going to concede the run and say, all right, that's fine. We'll give you four yards of carry for three quarters. That's fine. You only get to go down the field twice if you run the ball every single play for four yards of carry. That is the baseline here for which I think Alabama would willingly concede a lot of yards on the ground if Georgia was going to take it and say, all right, Stetson Bennett, beat us. I dare you. Throw on our secondary. That's Will Anderson over there on the edge. He's going to come at you 15 times, and if he hurries you up seven of them, he hits you five, and he gets a sack once or twice, and yes, I know that sounds gaudy stat total-wise predicting, but that's just how good Will Anderson is. If Will Anderson was in this year's NFL draft, he would very easily be in the mix to go top five, if not top three. Oh my God, New England, what the actual fuck was that trick play? I'm sorry. I, I I was looking up, and they tried to run the end-of-the-game schoolyard bullshit play, and they lateraled the ball into an interception. And I'm very glad I went on the jet stream last week, and I said, maybe Miami will beat the Dolphins. I, I, Miami will beat the Dolphins. Maybe Miami will beat the Patriots. Speaking of the Patriots and the Dolphins, back, back to Alabama and Nick Saban. I think Alabama feels pretty confident they can win this game. I don't know if Georgia thinks they can win this game, which is part of this. There is something to be said for visualizing and feeling like you can accomplish something before you do it. Georgia has not beaten Alabama in eight straight, seven straight tries, excuse me, seven straight tries. There is something to be said for the fact that all of the guys on this team, most of them were in preschool or kindergarten the last time Georgia beat Alabama head-to-head. There is something to be said for that. Visualizing your opponent and being able to beat them is difficult. That is a real... That is a non-measurable factor you have to consider here in this game. So back to X's and O's. One thing I have written down here... I want to see what Georgia does defensively to adapt for the way Bryce Young and Jameson Williams carved them up in the SEC title game. That game, Georgia, part of this is my thinking that Georgia didn't want to use anything too unique or special in that SEC title game because they knew they'd probably have to play Alabama again, kind of the way the Patriots, when they used to have, when they had Brady, would save certain offensive wrinkles and ideas for later in the season when the games were more important. I do think there is something to that. I was reading one of the scouting reports in The Athletic, and one of the coaches that Seth Emerson talked to said Georgia played pretty much just base defense the entire game, trying to not give away anything. And we've seen Alabama's offensive line struggle when the other team has sent heat at them. We saw Texas A&M and Auburn both have varying degrees of success sending pressure at Bryce Young instead of just rushing four or three sending a fifth guy to make an extra blocker adapt or delaying your pre-snap shifts where your defensive linemen shift exactly at the time 
right before the ball is snapped. So the blocker can't just look up and know where they have to go. Instead, making it where they don't know exactly who they have to block. So there's a communication factor that needs to be accounted for there. Those small parts of this game are going to be fascinating from a schematic and tactical perspective. And I think, I do think, if Georgia has learned its lesson, you're going to see softer boxes and you are going to see doubles on Jameson Williams, more or less this entire game. Number one, no John Mechie is important. No John Mechie for Alabama. That's really important. He got hurt in the SEC title game. They can double Jamison Williams, and Georgia is going to dare these younger guys on that Alabama receiver room to beat them. And if you get beat by somebody who has no major college football experience, I can live with that if I'm Kirby Smart. And as I am recording here, the 49ers just intercepted Matt Stafford in overtime. So we went two for three on our Friday picks. Not terrible. Not terrible. You'd like to go three for three. Two for three is not bad. But back to the national title game. Georgia is going to have to do what the bane of their existence. They are going to have to play, at least on defense, opposite of how they are designed. They are going to need to stop the pass before they stop the run. And that's contrary to what Georgia wants to do because their front seven is so good. Whether you're talking about N'Kobe Dean, Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter, Devontae Wyatt, Nolan Smith, everybody in that front seven is a freak of nature with elite speed and athleticism is going to be able to go sideline to sideline. You saw it really, really intently against Michigan where no matter what Michigan tried to do pre-snap with motion or changing personnel groupings, Georgia was just faster than them. Against Alabama, Alabama is as fast as you. So, They're going to need to sell out to stop the pass and just say, if Brian Robinson Jr. wants to run the ball however many times he wants to, that's fine with us. If he wants to run it 35 times for 190 yards and two touchdowns, that's fine with us. We need to be able to throw us, when I say us, we, I'm talking about from the Georgia perspective, Georgia needs to be able to throw the ball for 275, 300 yards and three touchdowns. That's one of the newer fangled ways, one of the newer approaches I've had to football from a game planning and perspective standpoint against a team that is really good at passing the ball. Dare them to run the ball. And we saw Cincinnati do it against Alabama last week, uh, two weeks ago in the college football semi-playoff, and it's why they kept the score so low, why it was only 24-6. to Alabama was invited to run the ball by Cincinnati. Cincinnati said, we don't want Bryce Young to beat us. We don't want we don't want Jamison Williams to beat us over the top. So we're going to have a soft box. We're going to dare you to run the ball over and over again. And we're going to say, we can live with that if you go up the field slowly and methodically. If you don't have any explosive plays, that's great for us as a defense because we know we don't have the players to cover you in man coverage for extended periods of time. We can do it for bits and pieces here, but I would almost argue Cincinnati and Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant have better defensive backs than what Georgia has, but that's not the point here. Talking about this game... One of the things I have here in my notebook as a subheading, and one of the real key points I want to cue in on is cue in on uh, Kirby Smart and his comfort zone. He has ridden this season out with Stetson Bennett, who is a walk-on 
fifth year senior, sixth year senior, somebody who is not polished. I believe Stetson Bennett was a two star recruit at the first university he went to. JT Daniels is a five star recruit, polished resume, was expected to be an NFL quarterback at USC before all the injury problems, but. Kirby has ridden it out with Bennett over the last two years, even though he's had considerable noise from outside the team that Daniel should be his starter, purely based on upside. This is something I talk about all the time, regardless of sport. You are better off losing with somebody who has high upside and either they don't live up to the upside or they shoot themselves in the foot rather than the guy with the low ceiling and the high floor. I'm always going to be an upside guy over a floor guy because the high upside version of JT Daniels wins this national title game by three touchdowns. The high upside version of Stetson Bennett is Georgia winning this game by a touchdown or so. That is the best case scenario. He doesn't turn the ball over. He manages the clock. He finds a couple of big plays here and there to Brock Bowers or to, um, or they get James Cook going or Zamir White going in the running game for a big play or a screen pass, something like that. Or they get George Pickens going, who looked better in the semifinal game than he did the SEC title game. But still, you know, coming back from an ACL, trying to get up to game speed only in SEC title game and a playoff game is kind of difficult. a tall order, tall ask, if you will, for somebody on your team that hasn't played since the spring. But will Georgia have the balls, the cojones, whatever expression you want to use to be aggressive. Georgia on offense is going to need to, hell, on defense too. They're going to need to send heat at Bryce Young at points and make him beat you. And if he beats you when you're sending heat, you can live with that because you gambled. If he beats you because you dropped seven and expected your front four to get home, that's not as acceptable. That's just, it's flat out, it's not as acceptable. If you're going to gamble, you got to get something out of it eventually. Otherwise, you're just flushing shit down the toilet. That is the problem for the way George has played in these big games. Where you think about the national title game four years ago, where George had the big lead at the half, Alabama goes to two in the second half, they win it overtime. The SEC title game in 2019, where Tua got hurt, Jalen Hurts came in at halftime, Alabama won the game. Georgia had a big lead. They played it conservatively with Jake Fromm in the second half. This year, SEC title game. You got out to a 10-0 lead. You stub your toe on offense a couple times. You give up the Jameis Williams big play. And that's it. That is it. You cannot allow this game to get away from you early. You need to stay. You need to play from in front or within one score if you are Georgia and you are going to win this game. Stetson Bennett is not good enough to come back from a two or three score deficit. He's just, he's flat out. He's not. And that's not a knock against him. There are very few quarterbacks, even at the NFL level, who are good enough to come back from multiple score deficits. That is a real consideration here. That is a testament to how good Alabama is. If I am Georgia, my game plan is very simple. I'm going to invite Brian Robinson Jr. to run the ball. We are going to have softer boxes. We are going to try and make Bryce Young throw. And if he beats us with us doubling Jamison Williams and they pick up a bunch of first downs with Brian Robinson Jr. running the ball, we can live with that. We can live with that from a game plan perspective because it takes a lot of four-and-a-half-yard runs to get to the end zone after a touchback. One 80-yard bomb to Jamison Williams and your game, you're demoralized instantly. 
if Brian Robinson goes down the field slowly and methodically, there's incomplete passes, there's a few checkdowns, that kind of thing, you live with that because you're slowing that offense down and you're not letting them hit you quickly. You want to slow the game down. And you want to make Bryce Young look like he did against Auburn and against Texas A&M. You want him uncomfortable. You want to send heat at him. You want to make him evaluate things pre-snap, change what they are after the snap. You want to use late shifts. You want to use stunts. You want to use blitzes from unconventional angles. You want to confusing blitz people where you're having guys come in off the corner. You have your nickel corner coming in and a linebacker dropping out or a safety coming down to pick up the guy to cover who the corner's in the blitz. you got to confuse what Bryce Young is looking at. If you dare him to dot you up in zone coverage or man coverage and you're dropping seven, he will gladly, gladly cut you up. Bryce Young will gladly cut you up like he did in the SEC title game. Georgia cannot afford to do that again. The biggest thing I have here in terms of Georgia's physical game plan, things they need to do, aside from being aggressive, you got to stay out of the obvious passing situations. You cannot let Alabama tell Will Anderson, pin your ears back, go get the quarterback. You cannot afford that situation in any capacity. Georgia's offensive line is decent. It's pretty good. It held up great against Michigan's pass rush of Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojobo, but you cannot let Will Anderson come at you unabated like he did to Desmond Ritter two weeks ago in the semifinal where it was an obvious passing situation. Alabama said, all right, well, go get the quarterback. We'll lock everybody down. Go get them. And that was it. That's all Alabama needed to do on defense. Will Anderson was destroying the Cincinnati game plan on offense. And Cincinnati could not throw the ball. And when you get into those obvious passing down situations, it makes Stetson Bennett's life harder. And those are the situations you don't want him in because he will turn the ball over. And that is why Georgia has lost to Alabama two times in a row with Bennett at quarterback because Bennett has turned the ball over at inopportune times. You need him to manage the ball. He is a game manager. He is a Jimmy Garoppolo. He is a Kirk Cousins. He is a Derek Carr. You can win a championship with one of those guys as your quarterback. You just need everything around him to be perfect, which is what Georgia's going to have to do if they want to win tonight. I'm saying tonight now because I know, I realize my tiny brain has realized you're listening to this on Monday. So, the player to watch for me on Georgia's offense, he's my favorite player to watch on this offense, the tight end Brock Bowers, who is 19 years old and very easily could be in the NFL this upcoming weekend in the playoffs if he wanted to. Uh, Very easily, Brock Bowers could be in the NFL. He is that dominant at the college level in the Orange Bowl against Michigan. He was eating those defensive backs who were on him alive in man coverage because he was just getting... He was able to bully off on his release, get through whoever was in front of him, and just go get it. Alabama's defensive backs are good, but none of them is going to be able to match up with Brock Bowers from a a size standpoint. And... That's the thing about these newer, more athletic tight ends. Uh, Michael Mayer, the guy on Notre Dame, same thing. If you put a safety or a corner on him, he's going to be able to bully them off the line of scrimmage. You put a linebacker on him, they're going to be too slow to cover him. Brock Bowers is Georgia's number one receiver. He was their leading receiver in terms of yards this year. I know George Pickens is going to get some of the buzz because he's back from the ACL injury and he's played the last few games, and in theory he should look full speed tonight. 
Bowers is Georgia's number one. I'm very curious to see how Alabama tries to eliminate that. And one of the things Alabama's going to do is they're going to sit in their cover too high. They're going to sit in their Nick Saban country zone defense and say, keep it in front of us, it's fine. You're not getting around us. If you want to dump it down in front of us, you want to run the ball, we think we have the bodies in the trenches where if you want to run the ball, we'll, we'll roll the dice that we can stop you running the ball. That's the kind of defense Alabama has. So, I have, in the last segment of my notes here, we're at 32 minutes, I'm not going to go much longer. Like I said last week, and I'm going to stick true to it, we're not going to drone on, on, and on when it's just me by myself. But we do have a guest book for tomorrow, so don't worry about that. We have a guest for Tuesday to recap the national title game. Two scenarios in my notes here. Number one, Alabama wins big. We've seen it in the national title game the last three years. Last year, Alabama handles Ohio State. Year before that, LSU handles Clemson. And then year before that was our last good national title game when Alabama and Georgia played a really great game and Alabama won in overtime. That was the last time we had a good national title game. It's really hard to keep the national title game close. Like I often say, there is only one national championship championship worthy team in college football every single year, more or less. There are very few times where I feel like a team did not get a fair crack at the eventual national champion and didn't play them outright. I mean, Alabama last year, there was the only team that had a chance against them was Florida and Florida. Kept it within one score in the SEC title game, but that game was never as close as one score. If you watched it, you understood that Florida was playing from behind the entire time, and that defense was never going to get a stop or a turnover, which is part of that, but still. Bama wins big. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. They throw it all over the yard. Bryce Young and Jamison Williams do a dance on the Georgia secondary. Georgia doesn't learn from their mistakes. They refuse to send extra guys at Bray showing. They don't adjust what they did on defense. They try and play no doubles. Jamison Williams is just so fast he gets around those guys. They're unable to impact the ball around the line of scrimmage, and then you start getting those Brian Robinson five- and six-yard runs bruising because Georgia is in a lighter box. But when you're playing from behind and you have to play that lighter box to stop the pass, you're fucked because you're playing to stop the pass, but you're down nine points. It's tough when those Brian Robinson rushing yards start adding up over time, which is what happened to Cincinnati last week. If you're going to sell out to stop the pass, it's got to be from the get-go. You want him running the ball as soon as the game starts. If, if Jameson Williams already gone for 130 yards and two touchdowns and Alabama's up 10, it doesn't matter that you're stopping the pass then because it doesn't matter. That is the hard part for people to understand here. That is what it's about. Saban has lost to one of his assistants one time ever, and it was to Jimbo Fisher this year at Kyle Field. I don't imagine he's eager to let Kirby beat him. He's handled Kirby the few times they've met. I I wrote it down here in my notes. Um, The last four times, so Alabama and Georgia have played four times since Kirby Smart became the head coach of Georgia. In the second half of Alabama-Georgia games, Alabama has outscored Georgia 85-24 to in the second half, and that includes the overtime touchdown to Devontae Smith and the Rodrigo Blankenship field goal in the national title game three years ago. Four years ago. God, I keep fucking it up. I keep thinking 2020. 2018 is three years ago, not four years ago. My, I'll get used to it. It's going to take a little while to get used to 2022, but I'll get there. I'll get there. You understand my point. Nick is not going to get outcoached in this game. 
which means it's going to be on the guys on the field. And Georgia has the talent to win this game. They need to have the right game plan, and they need to have the right state of mind. There are demons here to be exercised. Until you see it happen, you will always be skeptical. It's like the Leafs in hockey in the playoffs. It was like the Red Sox prior to 2004. These teams, the Cubs prior to 2016, these teams that are cursed, until you see them do it, it's very hard to believe they actually can do it. I think Georgia can do it. Will they do it is a very different story. And then, I only had, like I said, I only had two scenarios for how this game goes. I had Alabama big, and I have Georgia close. There is a recipe in which Georgia wins this game very, very close. I'm thinking six points or less. The spread is two and a half Georgia. Like I said, only second time in 15 years that Alabama has been an underdog. The only other time was against Georgia in the SEC title game, and then a game in 2015 where Mark Drick was still the coach of Georgia. So this is the third time in 93 games now that Alabama has been an underdog. There is a world where Alabama loses this game. Georgia needs to turn this game into a rock fight. They need to dare Brian Robinson to have 30 carries at the end of the game and Bryce Young to only have 25-ish pass attempts. That is a recipe in which I can see Georgia winning this game. You dare them to stop the run. You dare Alabama to throw the ball against heavy passing personnel on defense. You're going to sit in nickel most of this game. If they beat you and you're doubling Jameson Williams and a freshman or a sophomore who doesn't have a ton of experience beat you, I'm fine with that from a coaching perspective and a fan perspective. You need to make Bryce Young turn the ball over. That is a lot easier said than done, but in that Texas A&M game, they were sending exotic looks at him, confusing him, and making him throw the ball into windows he wasn't entirely clear on where the ball needed to go. That is That might be the single biggest thing I have in, in terms of importance for Georgia. If Bryce Young is just sitting back there with all day to throw, that is what I think this game comes down to. Will Bryce Young be comfortable or will Georgia make him make throws and make plays outside of structure? You're sending heat at him. You're confusing him. You're base aligning your defense pre-snap and then doing something completely different after the snap. You want to make the pre-snap and the post-snap look different. Bryce Young does not have a ton of game experience. He has this season of game experience. That's all Bryce Young has. The more exotic things you look at him, the better chance you have of confusing him and making him make a mistake. And that is the recipe for Georgia to win this game. I don't think there's a world in which Georgia can go punch for punch with Alabama. I don't see a world in which this game ends ends in the 40s or the high 30s. I think, at most, this is a game in the mid-20s. This is a 24-20, 27-24. Somewhere in there is the highest end range of this game. Realistically, I think this game is going to be in the teens. If Georgia's going to win, this is going to be a low-scoring affair. Less than 40 points total. I think this is a... 19, 15, somewhere in there kind of game. I think that's really the only way Georgia can win because of the type of team Georgia is. They're run first, play action, and defense. We're going to see if you can win a national title playing this way. There hasn't been a defense first national title team 
in quite a while, in really quite a while. You want to save things. There's an assumption here that Georgia did not use all of the plays in their... They did not break out the kitchen sink in the SEC title game under the assumption that they would play Alabama again. And that's a subconscious thing, too. A lot of the guys on that Georgia team probably thought to themselves, it's okay if we lose this game, we're going to see Alabama again, and that's fine. That's human nature. It's really difficult to overcome that. I'm not holding that against Georgia or Kirby, but that is part of the equation and the conversation after the SEC title game. For me, the defense, Stetson not turning the ball over. Those are the two biggest things. Georgia cannot let one big play demoralize them and end this game like the SEC title game got ended on that Jamison Williams big play. And yes, I know Georgia was winning at the half. Game pick. You don't get rich betting against Nick Saban. Give me Alabama plus three, two and a half, whatever number you see. I will be riding with the Crimson Tide. It's very simple. Until Georgia beats Alabama in one of these games, I'm always going to assume Alabama wins. If I lose betting on Nick Saban, I can live with that. I will see you guys tomorrow. We will recap the game. I, I will say, I hope I am wrong. I hope Georgia wins this game. It'd be better for college football if Georgia won this game. I'll see you guys tomorrow. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Listen to this, please. Oh. 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 Oh.